and it says, Then the same day at evening, beginning the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And we, when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I just pray this morning, Lord, Lord, that you take every distraction away from us, Lord. Lord, you shut us in with yourself, Lord, this morning. Lord, I pray, Lord, that every word that drops from my lips, Lord, would be from you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would take me out of the way, so to speak, that people would see you, that people would see the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ, the beauty of him, and what he has for each and every one of us. Lord Jesus, I just pray, Lord, that you come and have your way, Lord. And Lord, if there is something that I have put down, Lord, that is not from you, Lord, I pray that you take it from me. Because, Lord, we want a message from your heart this morning. We need something from you. Lord, so I pray, Lord, that you'll anoint these clay lips. And, Lord Jesus, that you would have free course. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. This morning, I would like to speak on a subject that is very dear to me. In fact, I struggled at times to write this. I really prayed hard about this. And I want to speak to you about a subject that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when I say I struggled, I mean this in a sense that when I was saved, not long after, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And little did I know how much I would need it. Because not long after I got saved, it was only a couple of months, I ended up preaching my very first message in a Catholic church full of unsaved. I really needed it. And the thing was, I didn't realise, but I was terrified of public speaking. But the Holy Spirit... It's very intimate to me because some of the worst trials I've ever been in my life, it's been something that has carried me through. And that's why I feel so passionate about it. It's unfortunate that in today's day and age, when we have TV evangelism, and don't get me wrong, there's been a lot of good come out of it. But there's a lot of showmanship with it too. And I think it's done terrible damage to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In fact, at times when I see 
uh, preachers and, and all you ever seem to hear about is money, money, money. And I just wonder even to myself, how can they claim to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and get on like they do? Because me personally, I don't understand it. Because when I read in my Bible, it says it will lead you into all truth. Let me tell you something. It leads you to Jesus Christ. It leads you to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. It leads you to what Jesus Christ can do in a believer's life. That's what it does. It's not there for showmanship. It's not there for sale. It's certainly not there for money. That's what it's there. To help people. Because that's what Jesus Christ did. He helped people. And that's what we need. And then when I hear about signs and wonders and and people are on about having feathers left and, and gold dust falling from the sky and people let me tell you it's nonsense it is absolute nonsense you see signs and wonders that's when people are getting saved that's when people are having addictions broken on their lives that's when people are getting healed that's signs and wonders and that's what the Lord does And let me tell you something, it's never of a man. It's never of a man. A man can pray for anybody, but it's the Lord who does it. It's Jesus Christ. Never put a man on a pedestal. Never. Because at best we are men. But it's him, Jesus Christ. It's his spirit that gives us the power to preach the gospel and for people to get saved, healed, and chains be broken. It's all about him. But I would like to start with maybe three questions that get asked to me quite a lot. Well, first of all, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And to put it in its simpleness, it's the fullness of the Spirit of God when he comes and overtakes somebody. Another question is, why do we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And simply put, It helps us to live more like Christ. And then the last question usually is, what do we need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, that's quite simple. All we need to do is be saved. If you're saved, then you have access to everything of the kingdom of God. It's as simple as that. So if you would turn with me, please, to Genesis 2 and 7. And we'll have a look at this word, breathe. And it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Now, If you look in the Hebrew, breath is a word, nahach, and in the Greek, it's pneuma. And pneuma is where you get pneumatic drill from, pneuma. pneuma. And it basically means a life-giving spirit or an influence which fills and governs the soul of somebody. That's what it means. That's that's the fullness of what that, that word means. So when you have a look at this verse, from the very beginning man was formed and he was breathed upon 
And you see, that very breath that's breathed upon us can never die. It's eternal. So someday, some doesn't matter, this body can die. But what the Lord has breathed upon you will reside somewhere for eternity. It always will. It can't be destroyed. But notice something. We were designed to have the very breath of God, to receive the breath of God into us. That's what animated us. That's what gave us life. And even if you go over to Genesis 1 and 26, and it says, in this verse it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. You see, the Lord here made us in, a, in his image. So then you, you have to look at the position that he put us in then. You see, because he made us, he, he fashioned us, and he formed us after his likeness, then he said, right, now there's a position that comes with that. And that's a dominion. That's a dominion that you have in Jesus Christ. It's a dominion that you are to walk, and, and dominion actually means to reign or to rule over. But this is what it means. It means it in a good sense, not in a bad sense like a dictatorship, but in a sense of you're walking in victory, or walking in a fullness of life, not coming under bondage of anything, not coming under bondage of the enemy or anything like that. It's walking in a fullness of life. This is what it means. Even when you look in, in, uh, in the Psalm 115 and verse 16, it says, The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth have he given to the children of men. So you can see what, was, what, what the Lord was doing for us here. He was given this, this position. And then, we, and then when you hear in the Gospels, it talks of the two Adams. So you have Adam who was in the garden that gave the, the power and dominion, if you like, was usurped by that temptation. That temptation that Adam gave into. It was usurped there. But then when you read in 1 Corinthians 15 and 45, it calls Jesus the last Adam. And there's a reason for this. It's because everything that was lost by Adam in the garden then was regained by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. When he shed his blood, he restored back to us that position. You see, because the devil always tries, and Satan will always try to suppress a man. Always try to suppress him and put him down. But you see, the Lord elevates. That's why he breaks addictions. That's why he breaks chains. Because he elevates us back to the place where we were meant to be. And another thing. When Adam walked the earth, you see it in Genesis 3 and 8. He said he heard the voice of God walking in the cool of the day. They had a relationship together. Adam walked with God. And he walked in the garden. And they had that closeness together. And you see when we talk about this, the, the, the anointing, and I've explained this before, that an anointing was when, when, um, when the high priest... Would, would go with a horn of oil and he would, he, would, he would pour it over somebody maybe to be a king or to become a priest and it would run down them. But I tell you another, another example of this as well. What would happen if you had a king of high prestige? 
he would do the same to a servant. And you know what would happen? You see that servant, you see the king would go out into the gardens and they'll call the, the wall gardens and they'll be beautiful where he was and he would walk and the servants would walk behind him. But you see the ones they anointed, they would walk next to him as friends and he would speak to them freely. And this is the idea we get with Adam in the very beginning was that, was that closeness and that relationship with the Lord. You see, so when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was salvation, but it was for more as well. It was for a fullness, a fullness of relationship with him. That's what it was. And you see, even when you look in John 7 and verse 39, and this is what he said. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. You see, so the Lord Jesus, when he died on the cross, you can see he died for our salvation. He died to make us free, but he also died that the Spirit could come and reside within us. That was part of the reason. And you see, when we get this, 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 uh, the, the, the Spirit of the Lord, and you find even when you see the disciples that were in that upper room, they shut the doors because they were fair of the Jews. But did you notice the contrast? When you look in the book of Acts and the Spirit of God fell upon them, what was the contrast? They come out of that room and they were preaching the gospel to everybody that they saw. And they were preaching it in the fire of God. Yeah. And people were listening. And people were getting saved. And people were getting healed. Yeah. This was the difference. This is what Lord showed us to be the difference. It was a fullness of relationship with him. But you see, even if we do get the baptism of the Holy Spirit where it falls upon us. And I want you to listen to this. He will never force you to do anything. He won't force you to do anything. You have to be willing to. You have to be obedient to the leading of the Spirit of God. It's as simple as that. We have to obey. And I want us to look at a few verses now. I've got quite a, a few bits of scripture that I want us to look at. You may turn to it if you want to. I'm going to try and go through these as I can. But I want us to look at the, predict, at the prophets, how they predicted the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. So please, if you would, uh, turn with me, please, to Ezekiel 36. And let your eye run down. Ezekiel 36 and verse 26. And 
And it says, a new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Another one, if you'd, if you'd like, please turn with me to uh, Isaiah of 44. We'll start reading at verse 2. And it says, Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee, fear not, O Jacob, and my servant, thou Jeshurun, when I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground, and I will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thine offspring. And if you would like, Turn with me, please, to Joel, the prophet Joel. And I'm sure this is a verse of scripture that we'll all know quite well. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions and also upon the servants and upon the handmaidens in those days will I pour out my spirit. So even just reading these few verses, we can tell that the prophets are talking of a future day of an outpouring of, of the Spirit of God onto the people. And that outpouring was fulfilled, as I said, when we look in the book of Acts, in the upper room, as there was the outpouring of the Spirit, as there was this fire that built up inside them to go out and preach the gospel. It was a strength that they were going to need. Because as we look through history, as we look, Paul was in prison, and he suffered greatly for the gospel. Even when Luke was taking down, his, his, uh, as he was writing even part of the New Testament from Paul, we would see probably Luke would have to go through the cities and maybe even see the Christians that were under persecution being lit up like candles to light the wayside. We have to remember, maybe some of these were friends of these people. And they knew them. But this Holy Spirit that come upon them they could not deny the power that was in them. Even the Romans that saw them. We even read in, 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 in the Gospels about the centurions that came to Christ. And even at the death of the Lord, one of the centurions said, surely this man was the Son of God. It was a power of the Spirit that was moving in that day. Brethren, we forgot about it. Or it's been turned into showmanship. That's not what it's about. 
It's about the purity and the relationship that comes with Jesus Christ that fills a man, that fills a man that's so passionate and so convicted that he's willing to go to death to proclaim his name because he knows that this life is nothing but a vapour. He knows that eternity is with the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless his name. Even when you read in the, in the Old Testament, and Jeremiah always sticks in my head with this because Jeremiah is, a, is, is, is preaching and he's prophesying about what's to come, the judgment of the Lord that's got to come upon them. And then, and then the priest comes and smites him. He, he, he hits him. And then he gets put in the stocks. And he's put in the stocks and he's humiliated. And, and people are coming by and they're throwing bits of a rotten veg at him or whatever it is that they're throwing at him. And he's, uh, as he's hanging there, he says, Oh Lord, you've deceived me. He says, Oh Lord, he says, I'm not going to speak in your name anymore. In other words, he's saying, I've had enough. I can't do it anymore. Lord, it's too much for me. And then you read, there was a fire shut up in my bones. What do you think that fire was, people? And so many times we see with the prophets, and it says, and the Spirit of the Lord fell upon them. The Spirit of the Lord fell upon them, and they spoke with conviction. Man would have to listen. We see it all the way through the Bible. It's not something that's just made up. It's the fire of God. It's what's for our lives. And it's for each and every one of us people. Even speaking in tongues was predicted. Isaiah 28 verse 11. And it says this. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. Stammering lips and another tongue. Isaiah is talking about speaking in tongues. I want you now please to turn with me to Mark chapter 1. And this is the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit. I want us just to take a, a look at this place this morning. Yes, verse 9. <clears throat> Mark 1, verse 9. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth, Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit drieth him into the wilderness you notice here that the Lord the spirit came down upon him and the Lord was led into the wilderness 
Now, there was a couple of things when I looked at this, and I know Pastor Ken's spoke about this. But I thought about this, and I thought, did he really go into the wilderness to prove that he could defeat the devil? No, he didn't. He didn't need to prove anything. He already knew. Did he go into the wilderness to show the devil what for? Well, no. Because he knew that he was already going to be completely crushed at the cross by the shed blood. But I believe that the Lord knew, of course he knew, that this was going to be recorded. It was going to be recorded for people to look at, to read. And I believe when you see the Lord walking into the wilderness, and you have a look at John's Gospel in chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word. So there was the Word walking into the wilderness. And the Spirit came upon him. And so when the Word and the Spirit come together, they completely defeated the enemy. Completely. And you see, another reason why I've often looked at and think, he fasted for 40 days. Now, I'll be honest with you, you ask my wife, I struggle with four hours. <laughs> Not that you could tell, like. But. but he fasted for 40 days. And I looked at this, and I thought, why that? You'll be emaciated. You know, you'd have no energy, you know, your bones would be showing. And then I looked at this, and I thought, was it to show us that the flesh could do absolutely nothing but it was the spirit and the word that was going to overcome the enemy I totally believe it to this day there's been a silent divorce if you like of the word and the spirit of God and you see at this day and hour I believe that we're living in the last of the last days I have done for some time and we need that word and spirit that come back together for a victorious church and a spotless bride because that's what we're going to be. That's what we're going to be. And we're going to need that. We're going to need that. Also, I think he was making a contrast as well. As people would read this, it was almost like a signpost, if you like, to Israel. Because the children of Israel were in the wilderness for so long. But they refused to be led by the Spirit of God. They wanted to be led by their own ways. What they thought was right. And this is what was happening to Israel right then. But I believe the Lord was showing them. This is what happens when you're led by the Spirit. You overcome. You see a man or a woman that has the Word of God. And the Spirit of the living God. I tell you to any demon or devil. It's the most frightening thing in the world. Because they overcome. Another question I was asked one time. Do you need the baptism and the Holy Spirit for salvation? No you don't. No you don't. No absolutely not. Acts 19 verse 1 and 2 tells you this quite, quite plainly.
And it says, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. They believed. There was no question about that. They were believers in Jesus Christ, but they didn't know anything about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So you don't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be saved. I want us now to have a look at the outpouring of the Spirit in the upper room. So if you'd like to turn with me please to Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. I know it seems probably a bit like a, a Bible study this morning, but to be honest with you, on this subject I wanted you to see the Word of God rather than what I had to say. And it says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. Notice something straight away. They were commanded. They were commanded to come into the upper room. And he told them to wait. Wait for this promise that's going to fall upon you. Because you're going to need it. You're going to need that fullness to walk in. You're going to need it to do the things that I want you to do. You've got to need it to have victory in your lives. And this is what he was saying, a command. Wait there. Wait there. Turn over to Acts 2, please. Verses 1 to 4. And I want to show you something about the upper room. I want to show you something about... There's a contrast there. Or should I say there's a... a, a sorry, not a contrast there. A similarity here. It was a type of something... So Acts 2, verse 1. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of the rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Right, I want you to see something here as we go through this. You will start to see, as I explain it to you, the, seminar, the, 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 the type, this is, of the upper room and the temple built of Solomon. Because in Second Chronicles chapter 6 and 18 it says, But will God in very deed dwell with man on the earth? Behold heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house which I have built. So you can see what he's saying. That even this house that I built will not contain you God. Because you're so big. You're so awesome. So I just want you to run through a few points that I've put down here. In the temple of Solomon, there was 120 priests leading the people in praise while waiting for God to dwell in the Holy of Holies. In the upper room, there was 120 brethren praising God and waiting for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, to come down upon them. In the temple, the 120 priests were trumpeting, singing, praising God with one voice. 
in the upper room, the 120 brethren are praying with one voice and they're in one accord. And in the temple, the glory of the Lord fills the Holy of Holies. And in the upper room, the glory of the Lord, the Holy Spirit rests upon each of the 120 brethren in the form of tongues of fire. In the Old Testament, the priests could not minister while the glory of the Lord was in the room. And only one priest once a year could enter into the Holy of Holies. With the death of Jesus on the cross, the curtain of the Holy of Holies was torn asunder, making a way for God's cloud of glory to rest upon the 120 in the upper room. With the descent of the Holy Spirit upon these present in the upper room, they then become the temple of God. The temple that was made without hands. Isn't the Bible glorious? All them years ago in the Old Testament, when Solomon building that, didn't realize there was a day coming when that very glory cloud would come down and rest upon men. He couldn't even understand, he couldn't have comprehended that at that time. But this was the blessedness of the promise of the Father unto his people. And you also notice something else. When the, when the tongues come down, it says cloven tongues in two. And that was the office of king and priest. That Melchizedek order that come down upon them. Just as it was with Jesus Christ. Just as it was with the glory of God in the Holy of Holies all them years ago. So I want to get onto the subject now of, of speaking in tongues. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and 18. I want to see what Paul has to say about this. And he simply says this. I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than, than ye all. Isn't that amazing? That's what Paul put on the speaking of tongues and utterances. In fact, if you go down a bit more in the chapter to verse 39. Verse 39. And this is what he says. Wherefore, brethren, covert to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Forbid not to speak with tongues. This is the emphasis that Paul is putting on from speaking in tongues. Now I do want us to, to understand something here. In verse 2 in chapter 14 here, if you just want to have a look in verse 2 there. And it says this, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. You see, we have to understand something. There is what you call a prayer tongue. And then there is a gift of tongues. And they shouldn't be mixed up. Because as this explains, the prayer tongue is when you're just praying and communicating with God. That intimate communication with him. But the gift of tongues... 
Um, this is all listed in 1 Corinthians 12, the nine gifts. And then there's a guideline in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 14. But it tells us that this is a tongue that is, is, is spoke out in an assembly. And then there's an interpretation of that given. And that, and that happens here as well. I'm sure you've, you've heard it. But it's for everybody. We have to understand this. It's not, it's not for a selected view. You know, you can never think, well, it's not for me, you know, because I can't do this, I can't do that. No, it's for everybody. If you're saved, if you're under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's for you. It's the promise for you. Remember that. Acts 2 and 39, please. I just want to show you this. And it says this. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now I know there's plenty of people, maybe in plenty of churches that would say, well, it's done away with. It doesn't happen anymore. But this clearly says to me, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Has he stopped calling people? He hasn't stopped calling people. He's still getting saved. People are still getting called to preach his word. So it's for them. You see, as the world is going today, we need to get back to the fullness of the gospel and the fullness of his word because that's what it is. So I want to just answer another question. Why should we have it? Is there any benefit to it? Well, I just want to give a few answers. I'll be going through a few scriptures. So if you want to just note these and that, but I'll be going through them fairly quickly, so um, I'm sure they'll be up on the, on the monitor anyway. But the first one is Acts 1 and 8, <clears throat> and it says, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uppermost part of the earth. So you can see here, it gives power. Power. John 16 and 13 says, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So there, John 16 and 13 tells us it leads us into all truth. It leads us into truth. 1 Corinthians 14 and 4, he speaketh him on no tongues, edifieth himself, but he that prophesy edifieth the church. It builds faith, it builds your faith. And in Romans 8 and 26, it says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That develops prayer. It's prayer. I'm sure we've 
all been to that place where you get where you can't even think of what even to pray anymore because you're in such a place. Oh, I've been there more times than I can say. I've been down on my face. Then all of a sudden, the spirit of the Lord starts to take over. And I thank God for it. I thank God for it. But what I want to put to you this morning is, what we see in the Old Testament, on the spirit of the Lord came upon them. When we see Jesus Christ, and you see the spirit come upon him, when we saw the very formation of the early church in the book of Acts, and he said to them to wait until the spirit comes upon them. What I don't understand is, why is it today, as a church and as a people, we think that we can go forth without the Spirit of God being within us and upon us and without moving in the churches, especially today, of all days. I mean, so many times I've heard of things happening. Even the other day, um, it was said to me and then, and, and then somebody was speaking to me about it. Um, there's even starting to get churches now, churches of Satan now are starting to come up uh, in America. You see, people, there is a very real and spiritual aspect to what we walk in. And it's hard for people to understand, and I understand that. And it's maybe quite scary to some people, and I understand that as well. But what I put to you is, the Lord didn't leave us comfortless. He didn't leave us powerless. He said this to his disciple. He says, I have got to go that the comforter may come. And you see these things, and I even heard a testimony of this man. He was, he was online. And he was actually in tears about this when he was saying. But he said he was a high priest in one of these cults. And he said one time he went in and he usually gave tithes in to this church of Satan. But he said this one time he didn't have any money. And he said he sort of wrote a check and he put the address on it. But it was on a pseudonym. It wasn't under the, under the name of it. It was under like a pseudonym. But he gave it to the, the teller. She gave him his receipt and that was that. And he went on his way. But he said what he didn't realize was the, the, the bank teller that was there she was a Christian and as soon as she'd seen it she knew straight away because she'd been praying against it. You see when on the back of that man's receipt said these words I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And he said you see that day from that day forth his exact words were it took me off at the knees. He said I had no power. He said I couldn't do anything. He said, I was restless. He says, because this woman was praying for me. And his exact words were, you see when a man or a woman knows who they are in Jesus Christ, it's the most frightening thing in the world to somebody who doesn't and is serving the enemy. Let me tell you something, brethren. When you know your position in Jesus Christ, 
there is nothing will come against you. When you understand what is in that blood, that precious blood that the Lord Jesus Christ shed for us, you will understand that the enemy has to flee. There's power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is power in Jesus Christ. And I tell you something as well, the Holy Spirit is like a policeman. I can testify to that. Stop it. You see, when I used to watch programs, I used to sit there and think, I watch program with my cup of tea. Switch it off. Are oh, you joking? Come on. The football's on. Switch it off. Go into your prayer closet. Go and seek my face. That's what he does. But you have to be willing to obey him. See, and then you get to that place where, as I was saying before, you get that place where you can feel the Lord just rise up inside of you. And I know it's him. And it's beautiful because it's such a relationship with him. Such a relationship. And you see the boldness and the fire that comes with it. Boy, I couldn't stand in this pulpit if it wasn't for that spirit. My wife would tell you, I'm a wreck before I get up here. She'll tell you every morning. I think it wears her out, to be honest with you. I'm there and I'm going, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that. And she said, well, you just trust in the Lord. And I says, I know, but that's the way I feel. But you see, when my feet hit them steps, I just feel it on me. I feel the Spirit of God come on me. You see, these scriptures, they come alive to me. They mean something to me. Brother and sister, I'm not standing here trying to lord it over you or anything like that. It's nothing like that. I'm standing here because I'm saying it's for you. It's for everybody. I will let everybody in here will feel that breath of God and the fire of the Spirit. Because you see, if this church was set alight, oh my word, you'd start to see Northern Ireland turn. And I mean that. Pray big prayers, brother. Pray big prayers, sister. Because we have an almighty God. And he wants to take residence within you. You see, what I can't understand is, I heard so many preachers and the, and the talk about, well, you know, the enemy possessing somebody or, or the enemy's possessing this person. Yeah. But they won't believe that Jesus Christ can possess somebody. Jesus Christ can come into somebody and light them up with a fire that they never had before. That's what he does. That's the fire of the Spirit of God. I just pray this morning that you, you got something from this. I just pray this morning that even them scriptures that I have quoted to you this morning would even show you something maybe that you've never uh, seen before or maybe even just acknowledge something that you already thought. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is for each and every one of us. And trust me, it's just such a great relationship to have with Him. I can't emphasize that enough because that's what it is. It's nothing more than a deeper relationship, a deeper walk with Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. And may God bless each and every one of you. Pastor Ken.